The following podcast is brought to you by Pathways Church. Thanks for joining us for this message from our weekend service. We exist to lead people into a growing relationship with Christ. If you have any questions or even a story to share about how God is moving in your life, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at pathwayschurch.us. Thanks for listening, and we pray that God's Word will enrich your journey today. What's up, gang? How are y'all doing this morning? Are y'all as excited as I am? I believe so. We got some energy in the room today, y'all. So what's up, Pathways Church? I'm super happy to be hanging out with you guys today. You guys are in the room. Here's second service, my people. If I had the choice to sleep in and come when you do, I would, you know? Uh, and I commend you for taking care of yourselves this morning. But also, do you guys mind welcoming the people that are watching online with us today and just saying hey to them, letting them know that we know you're here? And just so you know, as a, as a point of encouragement, if you're, even if you're in the room, like right now, um, from time to time, take the time to just share the live feed on like your Facebook or text it to a few people, whatever it is that you do to just post the live feed because you never know who's in your social circle that's gonna be encouraged or impacted by what goes on here on a Sunday morning. And uh, so we wanna be encouragers. We wanna be inviters. And part of that is taking what we do here straight to them, right? So I just wanna just encourage you guys to kind of be part of that with us, part of the front of uh, getting what Pathways Church does out there to the people. So today we do have an especially, in my opinion, an especially encouraging message. However, this title does not necessarily signify uh, a super encouraging message. It is going to be a challenging message, okay? Um, but it, I, I believe also that it's going to be a really encouraging message. So uh, I'm going to start, though, by giving you guys a little Bible study lesson. Y'all down with that? We're going to talk about a couple of big words that we don't use in our daily lives. Um, and we're, we're going to just talk about a couple of things. The first word I want to talk about is narcissus. Can anybody say that? Narcissus. Um, this is similar to the word narcissist. That's not an accident. It really it comes from the same place. This is talking about a way of reading and studying the Bible. Specifically, when you read the Bible narcissistically, that is reading the Bible and applying yourself as the characters in the story that you're reading. Um, and we do that because we, we need to see how like these stories apply to us as an individual. Where does this story that I'm reading line up with my story in real life? Well, this is kind of just inherently a kind of a selfish way to read the Bible because oftentimes when we read the Bible this way, we're just trying to make ourselves like this victory, like the, the character, the winner, you know, like the hero or whatever. And, uh, and honestly, I read the Bible like this sometimes and I don't mean to, but that's kind of whenever we read narcissistically, we're kind of placing ourselves as some kind of a hero when really we shouldn't be doing that. We should rather, the second big word that I'm going to talk about is exegesis, it's reading the Bible and applying it externally instead of applying yourself to the story. Specifically, this is applying Jesus to the story that you're reading, right? So this is how we should be reading the Bible. This is how I want to uh, be more consistent about how I read and how I teach from the Bible is I want to use it, uh, this perspective, exegesis, whenever I do that. I know there's some big words and this is all kind of um, just in theory right now, but I'm going to give you a couple Bible stories that are perfect examples, familiar examples of how we do this. For instance, the story David and Goliath. 
Most people know the story of David and Goliath. And we see ourselves as David, the victor, the champion. But really, Jesus is the victor. In the story of David and Goliath, if I'm in that story, I'm probably one of the scared Israelites that refuses to fight the giant, right? That's just going to let them come over and mow over my whole country. Like, that's probably where I fit in in the story. I'm definitely not the victor. Um, another story, Joseph, the favorite son of Jacob, who suffered at the hands of his jealous brothers. He went through slavery and prison to rise to a place of power. And we kind of want to see ourselves that way. But really, it's about Jesus' rise from humble beginnings to becoming the savior of mankind. Or Moses' parting the Red Sea. Moses is, 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 how many S's are in there? Moses parting the Red Sea as a symbol that Jesus is making a way for us to reach him in a previously impossible situation. It's not about us, it's about Jesus. Or, you know, Noah's Ark in the flood, or the lives of Elijah and Elisha, or Daniel in the lion's den. These stories applied to us only give us a small piece of the puzzle. But when we apply these stories to Jesus, we start to learn everything we need to know about God's heart and his nature. And in John 3, John wrote, less of me, more of him. So that's how we should read the Bible. It's a lot less about me. It's a lot more about him. Our relationship with Jesus is a lot less about us and more about Jesus. In this relationship between me and him, I'm fairly insignificant. So let me explain what I mean. Not that Jesus doesn't have value in me, but let me, let me, let me really put some thought into this. So there's insecurity and there's confidence. Now, I'm a wildly insecure person. Uh, I don't get super nervous whenever I'm coming up to the stage to preach but I'm super nervous after I get off the stage because I'm like, I can't believe I just told them that story. <laughs> like, you know what story I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm like, I can't believe I said that to them or I did that stupid thing or that, like the dumb outfit I was wearing or whatever it is. My outfits are fly, though. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not really nervous. Yeah, thank you. That deserves a clap. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> for a couple of you. Um, I'm just kidding, guys. I'm sorry. Um, I leave so many conversations super insecure, embarrassed by whatever ridiculous thing I just said. Uh, most of the big mistakes that I make in my life, most of the consistent, I would be willing to say all the big mistakes that I make in my life come from a place of insecurity. Like when I get in arguments with Jessica because I just feel stupid and that's what my insecurity is. Or because uh, or whenever I don't share concerns with a friend because I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. That's where my insecurity is coming out. Or when I refuse to plan with my finances because I'm too afraid to see how much I really don't have, you know? Like all of my biggest mistakes generally come from a place of insecurity. And I talk a lot about my insecurities. You can ask Emily, you can ask Michelle and Adam. Like I talk a lot about my insecurities because I don't want my insecurities to own me. I want to overcome my insecurities. I want to walk in confidence. The thing is, insecurity and confidence, we think of them as opposites, like they're mutually exclusive. Like you, if you have insecurity, you don't have confidence. And if you have confidence, you don't have insecurity. But that's not true. They can both exist at the exact same place at the exact same time. 
I'm insecure about my abilities to fix my problems with my finances, with my marriage, with my family, with my job, with my team. My insecurities come from a place of me realizing my inabilities. But I can still act confidently in all of these same areas because I have confidence not in myself, but in God, in his abilities, in his identity, in his perfect will. I'm insignificant in this whole thing. What I bring to the table just doesn't do much. Jesus is the victor that kills the giant even when I'm too scared to. He's the deliverer that makes a way even when I'm stuck. He's the savior that rose from nothing through opposition to give us freedom and provision and grace and forgiveness. It was never about me. And I can remain insignificant and still have a significant life of victory and righteousness and peace and freedom led by the Holy Spirit because of who he is, not because of who I am. My insecurity does not have to hinder my confidence in Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's kind of built on my insecurity. My confidence in Jesus is built on me realizing that I'm insignificant because it was never about me. It requires me accepting my own insignificance. I wanna become less so that Jesus can become more in my life. When I was a kid, I like to tell stories about when I was a kid. I got a couple in the, in the chamber today. When I was a kid, I used to ask my dad all kinds of questions. You know that cartoon of that little kid that's like, why, why? Like that was me. Anytime my dad gave me a great answer, why is the sky blue? Well, there's water in the air. You shine light through water, it's blue. Why? Well, there's oxygen in water. And if you, okay, why? Like I would just, my, I'm, I'm sure, my dad always had an answer. And I'm sure after a while he was just lying to me about something, you know, because like, I can't prove him wrong. But, um, but he was cool enough to answer and he never got annoyed with me about it. At least he didn't, I didn't know that he was annoyed if he was. Um, and I was a weird kid, so I asked some weird questions. One time I asked my dad, how do you want to die? I'm like, what? Is that a weird thing to ask? Some people are like, not, not real, like seven-year-old Nathan asking his dad how he thinks he's going to die. And my dad was like, I don't know how I'm going to die, but I know if, if I had to choose, if I got to choose, if I had the, the option to choose, I would want to be a martyr. That's what my dad said. He said, because it's the most significant way that I can give my life to the Lord. Now, that's not how he died but he realized that making Jesus even more important than his own life was the most significant way that he could make an eternal impact. Yeah, amen. Now, the band almost just came out during that story, but it's not the end yet. All right, guys, we're just getting started. That's the intro. That's the intro to the message. Are you guys ready to go with me somewhere now? We're actually gonna jump in the Bible. You guys ready to look at some stuff? All right, we got the, a good foundation set. So we're going to read a, set of, a, a section of scripture that Gary read a few weeks ago. Um, I'm not just stealing Gary's message, just for if, you're, if you were here a few weeks ago and you're here today and you realize we're going over the exact same thing. Um, I can't do what Gary does, man. So I'm not even going to try, but I'm going to focus on something a little differently. We're going to go to John 21, starting at verse 1. 
And we're going to read quite a bit of this story, 1 through 14 right now. It says, after Jesus appeared again to his disciples, this, is so, this was after Jesus had been crucified and was resurrected, and now Jesus is appearing to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, so this is what happened. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. That sounds like most of my fishing stories. And uh, they caught nothing. So early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered, which is the most frustrating like, have you, do you, do you catch anything last night? No, like, leave me alone, dude. I don't want to talk about it. Then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples, whom Je- the disciple who Jesus, Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, only about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals where the fish were with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 But even with so many fish, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, there's a lot of weird things that happen in this story. One odd thing to me is that Peter rushed to Jesus. Now, Gary mentioned two miracles when he preached this. Um, if, you, if you remember what they are, he mentioned that Jesus supplied the fish. And then he also mentioned that Jesus expanded their capacity to hold the fish. It's such a big deal, like the amount of fish they got, they were surprised that the nets didn't even break. So Jesus supplied them with so much fish and then also supplied them with the means to hold all of these fish. And I think there's a third miracle that happens here. Personally, seems like a miracle to me, is Peter beat the boat to the shore. I'm like, there's six big fishermen dudes rowing a boat 100 yards. If I were racing you alone, I might beat you swimming to shore, okay? Six dudes racing. First of all, I don't know what Peter was doing anyways. He had his shirt off, and then he puts it back on so that he can jump in the water and swim to Jesus. And if you got your shirt off, why not just jump in? I don't get it. So a guy wearing a coat, sorry, I get hung up on weird things. I apologize. But let's talk about it for a second. I'm just kidding. Uh, so this guy, this guy wearing a coat beat the boat to shore. But why did he even rush back in the first place? Last time we knew that Jesus and Peter saw each other, Peter was denying even knowing Jesus. That's the last time the two of them were together. While Jesus was about to be crucified, while he's in his most vulnerable state, while he's in his biggest time of need, Peter just abandons him. Pretends he doesn't even know him because he's afraid of what might happen to Peter. And now he's rushing back to Jesus. When I was a kid, I told you I had a couple of these stories today. I played peewee football 
And I was a tiny kid playing tackle football, okay? So my coach had to teach me how to tackle, and he had to teach me how to tackle people that were much bigger than myself. So, and I had two older brothers, so this came in handy just every day. Forget football. I needed to know what to do with bigger people. And uh, so I don't know what I'm going to do after I tackle them. Like, they're a lot bigger than me. I tackle them and get them to the ground. Like, that's not going to be good. We're both on the ground now. But, um, but I knew what my first move was. And one time, Aaron was making me so mad. Aaron is my middle brother. I'm the youngest. And Aaron was making me so angry. And he's standing in the doorway to my bedroom. And I was like, it's happening. <laughs> so I took off, and I tackled Aaron out of the doorway across the hall into the wall, uh, but we went all the way through the wall and ended up in my granddad's closet. And my granddad was in his bedroom at the time too, so. Um, and through like, the fight was over. Like as soon as that happened, there's it's just carnage and wreckage everywhere. And like, we're not fighting anymore. We're just, we feel like superheroes a little bit. So, uh, so we climb out through the closet door and come back around and look at the damage we had done and like, I mean, there's a child-sized hole in this wall to two children. And um, we're, the, my, I tell you, my first reaction was not to run to my parents and be like, look what just happened. Like, my biggest regret at the time was the hole. I wasn't about to go to the people that, like, we're going to have to deal with this, my authority, and tell them about it. Uh, as a matter of fact, our oldest brother tried to help us out. There was, like, some duct tape and cardboard involved. And <laughs> long run did not help at all. And honestly, I don't know what I was so afraid of. Like, what, did, what were my parents going to do? Like, like while I was thinking in my head that they're just going to, like, kick me out, I'm living on the streets now or something, like, what, like what, how bad could it possibly be? You know, like, I'm just going to be a nine-year-old panhandler in my little country town. Like, that's not going to happen. I don't know what in the world. So I was too young to realize how much grace my parents had. But Peter with his specific history with Jesus. Peter heard the story about the prodigal son directly from Jesus' mouth. Peter knew the kind of grace and mercy that Jesus taught. And he was desperate for that grace and mercy. He needed to be forgiven. So he rushed to Jesus. And now Jesus gets the opportunity to respond, and he does so pretty unpredictably. We're going to keep going. Verse 15 says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. That's interesting. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger and dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. 
Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus asked Peter if he loved him three times. Why three times? A couple weeks ago, it was highlighted that Peter denied Jesus three times. So there's this beautiful correlation between Jesus's, or uh, Peter's denial of Jesus all the way to full redemption of Peter, right? You denied Jesus three times, and now three times you get to recommit to Jesus. And that's awesome, but I also think there's a little more to the story than that. I don't think that that's everything. There's a couple of small details. See, in the New Testament, in the Greek language, there are three different types of love. And there's three different words to use, like to talk about them. So in English, we got the word love. That's all we got. So like I love my wife and I love tacos. It's not the same thing. I mean, I really love both. Like really. But it's not the same thing. It's a different kind of love. But I'm forced to use the same word. They were not forced to use the same word for every type of love, okay? So they had three different words. And the first version of love that they had was, the first one we're going to talk about is agape. This is unconditional, undefeatable, sacrificial love. This is the kind of love that God has for us and that we're challenged to continue growing in that kind of love for him. Unconditional, sacrificial love. And then the second kind of love we have is phileo. This is brotherly love, warm, familiar affection. This is like your homies. This is your bros. This is your family. This is like, I, I really like that guy. I, I want to hang out with him more. I'm going to go, you know, like that's phileo, your brotherly love. And then the third one is eros, which is romantic love. Eros was not mentioned in this conversation, but both the first two are. So let's look at those. The first time Jesus asks, do you agape me? Do you love me sacrificially? Unconditional love. And Peter said, I phileo you. Like, I like you, bro. Then Jesus asks the second time, do you agape me? And he says, a second time, I phileo you. And then the third time, this is really weird. Jesus changed the question. He said, do you phileo me? That's what he asked the third time. Now Peter's feelings got hurt. And then Peter's like, of course, I phileo you. So now we see there's a little more to the story. The details matter here. John wrote this down to make sure that this conversation's never forgotten, but what exactly did that conversation sound like to John? Like if I write a note, or even if you go through my text messages to Jessica, and you see the things that we say to each other, to you, it just looks mundane and boring, but the exact specific word selection that we have means more than what you would realize, because there's a lot of connection between me and Jessica. There's a lot of history between me and Jessica. The way we speak to each other is very specific. Peter and Jesus had a lot of history. There's something specific about why Jesus chose this word and why Peter answered this specific way. So we know this is what they said, but what is behind those words? Now, I'm not gonna add to the Bible, but I do wanna go through this conversation and give an idea of what's behind the words. The first time Jesus says, do you love me with a sacrificial love? And Peter said, you know everything. Which means you know that I talked a big talk for three years 
And I thought I was stronger than I am, but the jig is up. I love you, but just like a friend. And Jesus said again, you're going to be a leader, bro. Do you love me with a sacrificial love? And now Peter's like, Jesus, I like you, but I abandoned you. I turned my back on you, and I was afraid of what people would think about me, and I want to love you like that. I thought I could love you like that, the way you love people, but I can't do it. And he answers, I phileo you. And then the third time, Jesus says, okay, so you used to say, for years that we've been hanging out, you used to say, that you agape me, you acted like you were my ride or die homie, that you would do anything for me, and then you had the best opportunity to prove it, and you didn't, and you failed, and you backed away. He says, now you're saying you can phileo me, and I'm supposed to just take you at your word. I'm supposed to just trust that you can even do that. He says, can you? Do you even phileo me? That's Now Peter's feelings are hurt. Peter's upset because he's being challenged. And what's going on in Peter's head right now, the third time he's asked with his hurt feelings, is I think he's thinking, I just rushed here because I thought I was going to get mercy. I thought that he was going to show me the kind of love that that father showed and the story he told. But instead, I'm just getting everything thrown back in my face. And he answers, what's going on right now, Jesus? He's like, are you expecting a different answer? Yes. I phileo you, but that's all I got. That's the best I can do. And I was talking to Jessica about this conversation. And Jessica's like, don't you think you're making Jesus sound kind of mean? I was like, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess a little bit. But but I don't think Jesus is being mean. Jesus isn't rubbing it in. He wasn't belittling Peter. He's preparing Peter because Peter has to face his insecurity, his regret, his guilt, and realize his own insignificance so that he can get out of the way so that Jesus can do something in this moment. He had to own his insignificance to be able to overcome his limitations. I don't think Jesus was calling him out because Jesus doesn't call us out. Jesus calls us up. When we're convicted by the Holy Spirit, it's not to make you feel guilty and shame. It's because he has a new standard that he wants to set. And I think Jesus is setting a new standard for Peter. And he's letting him know everything that you've done before, all of the weakness, all of the mistakes, all of the disappointment, we got to get it out in the open because we're not going back to this. We're going to get it out. We're going to deal with it now because it's not about you, Peter. And I don't want this creeping back up in the future. We got somewhere we're going, and we're going there together. It's like a coach with a, with a player. A coach makes a player do all the things that he doesn't want to do so that he can become the player that he always wanted to become. So Jesus is challenging Peter to deal with the hard stuff because Jesus has something for him next. He's not calling him out. He's calling him up. And after this last answer, Jesus responds. And he says, it's not the best you got. He tells him, but your phileo might be enough for now. 
And if you'll nurture it, and if you'll hold on to it, and if you'll allow me to do something with it, eventually there's going to be a day where you're asked again to make a sacrifice for me, to do something bigger than yourself, to be significant in the most significant way. And when you're given the choice between yourself and me, one day you'll choose me. even when it costs your life. And it won't be easy, but it'll be significant. Peter thought his failure disqualified him, that his failure made him insignificant. But if we truly give ourselves to God, then our past doesn't have to determine our future or our value or our impact. I'm not going to let the mistakes that I made as a teenager define my life in my 20s. And I'm not going to let the mistakes I made in my 20s define who I am in my 30s. And I promise you, the rest of the decade that I'm in now, the mistakes that I make now are not going to define the person that I'm going to be in my 40s. Because I'm insignificant in this whole thing. Because God is continually moving me forward closer to his heart and who he wants me to become. Our past doesn't determine our future. And Jesus wants to do something with the things that we've called unimportant or broken or useless, even when that thing we think is us. Now, between Jesus' resurrection and this conversation with Peter, he's already done a few things. Um, now, it's, some of the things he's done is odd. The very first thing he did was weird to me because if, I, if I'm Jesus, I'm not Jesus, I know, but I don't want an email about Nathan said he's Jesus on stage. I'm not, okay? But if I'm Jesus, uh, and I just came back from the dead, first of all, I'm calling mama. I'm like, yo, ma, like, I'm back, baby, you know? Because, um, like, he, I hadn't talked to mom in three days. Like, I got to get, you know. So, or I'm going straight to the temple. I'm going to be like, look at me now. Like, I'm going straight to the temple, to the people that put me here, and I'm rubbing it in, yo. That's what I'm doing. Nathan ain't Jesus, I'll tell you that. But this is what Jesus does. His very first thing he does is really weird to me. So we're going to read this together, and we'll go through this pretty quickly. We're about to wrap up, but Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 13. This is the first thing he does. It says, now that same day, the day Jesus was resurrected, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in the last few days? Jesus says, what things? He's playing dumb. Like, obviously, Jesus knows what they're talking about. If Jesus doesn't know, come on. So he says, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more 
It is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find the body. They came and told us that they had a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish are you? How slow to believe. That's what my parents used to say to me. How slow to believe. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And they approached the village to which they were going. Jesus continued on as if he was going further. They urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Emmaus in this story was this tiny little village that's never mentioned again. Cleopas is the only time that he's been mentioned in the Bible. We don't even know who his friend is. He doesn't even get a name. That's how insignificant he is. How would you like to be the one story about you meeting Jesus? Your name's not even mentioned. These are two insignificant people going to an insignificant town. A couple of nobodies going nowhere. If you think that you're not important or talented, you think you're too old, you think you're too young, you think you're underqualified, unable, broken, or just straight up insignificant, I think that you're the one that Jesus wants to walk with. The ones who don't get a name, the town that's never mentioned. I think that's exactly who Jesus wants to meet with. We don't need more confidence in ourselves. We need to realize that it was never about us in the first place. I want to become less so that Jesus can become greater because it was always about him anyways. I know, man, we're super concerned with our inabilities and our insecurities. Some of us are super concerned with our abilities and confidence in ourselves. Either way, that makes us become the obstacle that's between God and what he wants to do in our lives. It's us thinking it's about us. But God wants to do something for you. Because after that, he wants to do something in you. Because eventually he wants to do something through you. He wants to perform miracles on our behalf because he wants you to be a miracle for somebody one day. And he wants to take what's insignificant and make something incredible with it. Do you guys mind bowing your heads?
a wine bottle is only as valuable as the wine that's put inside of it. And my wine bottle's been dusty and cracked and imperfect my entire life. But I want Jesus to just fill it up. I want it to be about him. And some of us think that it's too late, that we've already been broken, and that whatever Jesus has, it's not for me, man. But I want to tell you the most arrogant thing that you can do is to think that you can out the grace and forgiveness of God. It's impossible. And if you're one of those people that's been going around with an empty bottle, an empty vessel, and you're ready for Jesus to fill it up and to allow him to be the Lord and Savior in your life, instead of walking around empty and insignificant, if you're ready to make that decision for the first time, I just want you to raise your hand. If you're here in the room, I see you, bud. If you're watching online, I see you. If you're watching online as well, say something in the comment. Let us know, because we want to follow up with you. This isn't something that you should be going through by yourself trying to figure this walk out. We want to be a part of it with you. I'm going to ask everybody that's in here in the room to say a prayer with me because we want to be in support of the people that are making the single biggest decision that they will ever make in their entire life. So if you guys would repeat after me, Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. You were there for me on the cross. I repent of my sin and selfishness. Forgive me. Come into my life. I receive you by faith. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody in here said amen. Would you guys celebrate with the people that just made that decision today?